In today's show, we're looking at NBA draft prospects with Tyler Metcalf from No Ceilings NBA. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble, and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LockedOnNBA for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. So we're going to be joined by Tyler Metcalf of No Ceilings NBA. We're going to be talking about James Najee, Judah Mintz, Gigi Jackson. Who else have we got on the uh, on the slate today? Terrence Shannon Jr. as well, covering those prospects and his general feel on the top five of the NBA draft as well. So we might as well get Tyler in. All right, we'll bring him in right now. Here he is from No Ceilings NBA. It is Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, welcome. Josh, thanks for having me. Exciting time of the year for the draft. It is a fantastic time of the year. We are, what, three, four weeks away? Four weeks away, I think, from the NBA draft. The draft combine is done. We've got the um, uh, withdrawal deadline coming up in, what is it, about a week's time where players uh, can withdraw and go back to college. And then the international deadline, I think, is another few days after that sometime in June. Why do they make the international deadline after the the U.S. deadline? I I don't understand the difference. I mean, I, I think some of it has to do with some of those guys still having seasons going on a little later, letting them adapt to the playoffs and all that kind of stuff. But it, it would be nice for us to just have it all on one day, make it nice and smooth and easy for us, you know? Yeah, it would be great. So, like, oh, here we go. Everyone's pulled out. Let's do it. And then, like, you know, five days later, another two guys that, yeah, you had to pick 34 have decided to go back to Europe <laughs> for another year, just to, just to frustrate it even more. But we're going to talk five different prospects, including a guy you're higher on than most and lower on as well. But before I get into that, what I am doing is starting these shows by asking my guests. We know the top five. We know the order of the picks at this point, unless there's trades going on. Um, San Antonio, Charlotte. Paul, Portland, Houston, and Detroit, what would you do at each of those first five picks? Yeah, so an easy one at number one, San Antonio, Victor Wembanyama. That's what this whole tanking was for this mm-hmm. season. He's that franchise cornerstone, can do basically stuff that we've never seen from anyone. Yep. Um, Charlotte at two, I think it's really interesting. It sounds like they're going Brandon Miller, but I think Scoot Henderson's the type of guy that you really want to build your franchise around. Uh, Plays on ball, plays off ball, best playmaker in this class. Uh, Struggled defensively this year, but when he really turned it on and locked in, uh, he was really good. I think Steve Clifford could get a lot out of that. I have some questions about how him and LaMelo could pair together, but I'm at least going to try it out because I think Scoot is that good. Uh, With Portland at three, I think it's easy. Brandon Miller, I think he f- fits in there next to Shaden Sharp and Jeremy Grant and Damian Lillard really easily. And then even if Damian Lillard's like, hmm, I want out, obviously pure speculation. Uh, Brandon Miller's a pretty darn good wing to build around. Um, at four for Houston, I would go a different direction. I know a lot of people go Amen Thompson here. I would go with my fourth overall player in Jairus Walker. Um, I think he's an incredible defender. He has so much more to his offense. 
uh, than he was allowed to show at Houston this year. And he basically played point his senior year at IMG, which is one of the best high school programs in the country. Um, so I, I just think his defense pairing with Tari Eason and Jabari Walker would be awesome there. And then just a lot more ball movement and offensive upside than he really got to show this year. And then with Detroit at five, it gets tricky, but I would go Cam Whitmore. Um, I think his athleticism with Duran and Ivy would be awesome. I worry about how Whitmore kind of projects in a team concept where everything he's really good at is in an, is at an individual basis. Like he's a really good individual on ball defender. He's a really good driver. Uh, he's, he is a good cutter, uh, solid spot up shooter, but doesn't move a whole lot, zero playmaking to him, but that's where Kate Cunningham comes in. And I think he would be able to kind of excel in that off ball role early on. It's interesting. That's uh, you know, a little bit different there. So a lot of people think that the top four is settled, but I have heard a few people recently dropping I mean, out of that uh, that top four. And there is, it's going to be some people say, oh, yeah, the draft's going to start at four. And obviously to me, I think you know, after one, it really not anything's yeah. on the board, but lots of different things can uh, transpire and uh, in terms of picks being traded, especially, but let's talk about the five prospects we're going to get into here. And let's talk about someone that you're, uh, I guess you're advising people not to, uh, not to sleep too much on. And we're talking James Naji from Barcelona. As you can see on that graphic, he's 18 years of age. He's going to be 19 soon. This is really young. Center, six foot ten. Probably a uh, most times I see him going around 29, 30. That sort of back end of the first round. I have seen one mock draft having it at number 21. Some people pretty silly. I think dropping him to the middle of the second round. That's through my mock draft database that I've got there. But you know, in terms of looking at, at Naji and what he's able to do, like you're higher on him than a lot of people. What do you think his overall yeah, upside is? Like how how high do you think he can be? Because we know that at times centers can be undervalued or not undervalued. They can be more plentiful and not as useful in the NBA because of the replaceability of them. What does Najee do that stands out? Um, I, I think he could be the best defender from this class. Uh, when you look at his age, he's obviously one of the youngest guys in this class. Uh, yep. He's built like an NBA veteran already. I mean, the guy's massive freakish athleticism both vertically laterally uh going forwards backwards just his movement is super smooth um and that that's the big selling point with him is that he is still this young but he's this composed and comfortable when a really very different defensive schemes uh super effective despite being this young for one of the best basketball teams in europe um it, it's a lot, his defense gives me a lot of Robert Williams, Bam Adebayo vibes. And I know those are really lofty expectations and comparisons, and I don't give them lightly, but that's just how much I think of his defense because he does have the footwork and the athleticism to kind of switch on the perimeter. He's super comfortable in drop coverage already. You can just do a lot of really different stuff with him on the defensive end. The concern is the offense yeah. and he's basically a zero at that end. Um, and he took two jumpers all year, really concerning scoring touch, only 48% on free throws, and 79% of his shots were either a tip-in, a dunk, or a layup this year. So you're not really getting anything from him on the offensive end besides screening, rim running, play finishing at the rim. But the entire selling point with him is just the astronomical ceiling that his defense could bring. Now this, I'm not saying that this is, is the case, but people will often have these, they'll break things down into a, a really, um, yes, I don't know if binary is the right term, but we look at, oh, here is a center with no offense who's hyper young, 
coming into a draft, who's coming and playing in Spain. So why is he different to Usman Garuba, who was a center who played defense and played in Spain and played and had no offense and was really young coming into the draft? How do they differ? Yeah, and I, I think Garuba kind of projected a little more with a perimeter defense, and I think Najee is that pure center defender where he does have that legit rim protection. Yes, he can switch on the perimeter if needed, but he's really comfortable in that drop coverage where – his positioning is almost perfect every time. And for an 18-year-old to be that comfortable, that is really, really encouraging. And then just really good verticality, shot blocking at the rim. It's just the type of defensive cornerstone. I was a little lower on Garuba when he was coming over because it felt a little more chaotic with him. The the highlights were insane, um, you know, really high-energy stuff. But Najee feels more composed, more consistent, more grounded in what he does on the defensive end. And then offensively, the the concern is that there really isn't a whole lot of skill or scoring touch there. But he also doesn't play outside of himself. Like, he knows that he's not some shooter or playmaker on that end of the floor, and he's not trying to do that. He's really playing within his role. He rotates and kind of roams that baseline really effectively and – cracks offensive rebounds really consistently. So he's not trying to do more than he should be on that end, which I think is, really, again, really encouraging for someone of his pedigree at that age. I think one thing that's important when looking at these stats, you know, I've got them presented on the screen here, and you'll say, oh, well, you, know, you say he's a zero on offense. He's got a 19% usage, but it's important to understand what that means. And that usage is because of turnovers, like he averages three turnovers per 36 minutes compared to 1.3 assists, but also five free throw attempts per 36 minutes because he's a bad free throw shooter. It's not because he's this offensive guy that's, you know, a a league average usage guy. It's like getting free throws and it's turnovers that's contributing to that. Like he's not taking big amounts of field goals. And people don't always understand what usage is. They think it's a a number that just means, well, that's how often you're running things or executing plays or being giving the ball. And that's not what it is. So that number at 19, it's probably like, we see like Derek Lively, who I talked with Rafael Barlow about yesterday, had like a usage of like 11 or 12%. But that's you know that doesn't mean that him and Najee are necessarily different in terms of their the way they've been utilized offensively on, on their current teams. Um, how high would you go with Najee? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up going in the teens on draft night. Um, I, I, I've heard around the league that there are some real big fans of him. Uh, when I say teens, I don't mean lottery. I don't mean mm. that. Not talking that aggressive, but I mean like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Okay. 20-ish, it wouldn't shock me if he kind of went that high. Because that that group around there, so there's the Warriors there, there's the Lakers there, yeah. there's the Rockets there who all could do with either someone who could develop into a starting center or at least provide big man depth. And uh, yeah, I've seen Derek Lively in that area a lot. Yep. So um, it, it does make sense if you're looking for someone because those teams in that spot could definitely use some. And even again, if it's even if they're not a starter, if someone just provides that extra big man depth, it's not, um, it's not you know, Mo Bamba or it's not um, whatever Golden State was running out behind Kevon Looney for big chunks of the season, there are opportunities there for those um, those players. We'll get into the guy that you're a bit lower on in a second. Before I do that, though, I've got to tell you guys that today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. You're looking for tickets to an event, sports, concerts, comedy, theater, musicals, whatever it is. Game Time is going to get that for you, but. Buying tickets, it shouldn't be a stressful thing. You shouldn't have to plan it months in ahead. You shouldn't have to be worried about the tickets you're going to get. Like Game Time solves all these problems you can do with their last-minute flash deals. You can see what's happening in your city right now at the moment. Check the views from your seats on the Game Time app. And if you find tickets for the same section, same row at a uh, at a 
cheaper price, well, Game Time will refund you 110% of that difference. They've got that lowest price guarantee. They've got event cancellation protection, job loss protection as well. You get images of your seat. You see the view, what you're going to have when you get to that event as well. The tickets can be done. You buy them really quickly, matter of seconds, and they just get sent straight to your phone. You don't have to worry about even digging through your emails when you get to the venue. It's like, oh, just let me find the tickets right there. It's on your phone. It's easy to do. So download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, Create that account and redeem the code locked on NBA for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's talk about a player that you are lower on than consensus. This will be a player that many people haven't even really heard of necessarily. We'll get to him right now. But due to mints, I have seen the name start to rise into the early second round. Um, my mock draft database has got him going as high as 36. I've actually seen him in some other people's big boards up to like 28, 27. He's a guard from Syracuse. He's about to turn 20, six foot three. Shot only 30% from three, which is yeah, standing out like dog's balls as a red flag there. Like I'm going, okay, that's not great for a guard. The two steals per 36 minutes is very interesting. So, okay, so tell us why you hate Judah Mintz. You're, you're muted. You're muted, Tyler. Rookie move. I'm sorry. There we go. Um, I, I, I promise I do not hate him. I just think <laughs> he would be a guy that would benefit tremendously from an extra year um, in college. The I, I thought he, he was definitely a guy who got a lot better as the year went on, but the shooting numbers are rough. And for a guy with that high of usage, who's that ball dominant, it's really hard to succeed in the NBA if you're not a shooting threat. Um He's a really shifty ball handler, you know, good size for a point guard. The length was the wingspan uh, specifically at six, three and a half uh, was a lot smaller than I was anticipating, um, which kind of makes me even more skeptical about his defense. But if the, the optimistic view of him is that he's a really shifty ball handler who can get into the lane pretty consistently and then is a really good kind of creator out of there with his, with either kickouts or lobs to the back door. Um, but I, I'm really skeptical about the shot because it's not not that he was just inefficient at it, but he was also really unwilling. And that lack of volume plus the lack of efficiency, it's a big red flag. And I, I think another year would do really, really good for him. Yeah, two three point attempts per game as a guard is very low. Like it's just it's not it's not really acceptable now. And getting Getting his numbers the way he did, average 16 points per game in 33 minutes, it's a lot of that is getting to the line and that's sort of taking advantage of um, athleticism at the college level and driving. And that, unless you are yeah, the next level up in the NBA, that becomes a lot harder to do. And these sort of players who become role players in the NBA, in all likelihood, need to be able to hit from the outside because they're not going to have that athletic advantage the majority of the time against NBA defenders. They're not going to be able to blow past guys and rely upon getting to the free throw line almost six times per game, which he did at Syracuse. So you're right. So those sort of numbers where you look at it and go, I'll go for 16 points. That's great. I got to the line. That's a great indicator in college. Mm -hmm. But, Unless you're doing, unless you are absolutely you know, top top level, those sort of things don't translate across to the NBA. You need to be able to do some other things. You need to be able to be willing to be a shooter. Because as I will always say, when I'm talking about players on, on my show and talking, yeah, fantasy wise, it's, it's all well and good that like, oh, the ball's in his hands. Look what he's doing. But what team is going to say, all right, everyone, clear out. It's due to mince time, um, and we're set here, and we just build around him. Like, no, he has to fit there, and he hasn't shown those skills yet. I don't think. Exactly. And th that's what another year of experience 
can do for him because it just helps slow the game down so much on both ends of the floor. Uh, you mentioned the steal numbers, um, really, really encouraging steals yep. per game and steal rate over three, um, which for a freshman guard is awesome. But I think a lot of that is a symptom of first playing in that two, three zone and just how much he gambled. He was jumping passing lanes left and right um, and not always successfully. And a lot of the time, those gambles really turned into the other team getting easy buckets. Um, I worry about how that defense translates into man defense, because obviously we're seeing more zone in the NBA, but not to the level where it's every single possession, obviously. So his inability to really navigate screens, uh, and he constantly lost track of what was going on behind him. Um ball watched a ton gambled a lot the steel numbers on their own are really encouraging but how it matches up with the tape i'm i'm really concerned about some of the defensive habits i'm trying to think of you know, one of those there was a guard from syracuse that we had a similar sort of concern with defensive numbers not quite as high as judy Minson. i think it was malachi richardson um a few years ago so i you know looking at how you know oh, look at this guy three and d defending wing guard but is it just because of the zone that we're getting this um, yeah, this boost to his perceived value? And obviously, Richardson did not really pan out in the NBA very much at all. He barely played and sort of bounced around to a couple of teams. Um, the steal rate, for, I'm just looking up now, Richardson's steal rate wasn't as high as what Mince's was, but there's always that concern that you know, scheme with these teams that is um, extreme in what they run, that it does paper over maybe some concerns. Yeah, yeah, and just w when you gamble that much, the, the they're not measured gambles. You know, I'm I'm all for guys gambling, but when it's every single possession, you become a really easy scout and really easy to exploit. And then you translate that to the NBA offense, and you know he's going to have to guard guys running off of screens, or even if he's trying, his team tries to hide him as the low man or in the corner, he's got to be aware of that guy cutting behind him or you know making those timely. Uh, rotations to tag the roller and recover all that kind of stuff and i have yet to see him really do any of that because he would gamble he would miss and then kind of give up on the play or he would pick it off and go the other way those looked awesome on highlight tape but the 85 percent of possessions where that didn't happen the other team was scoring a lot it's the uh the rajon rondo steel uh steel impact where he's like i'll just swipe for it and if i miss it Oh, well, they get past, and if I get it, it looks great, and people say how good of a defender I am. We've got a couple more players we're going to talk about. We'll get into them in a second, but I'm going to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. I'm wearing my Bird Dogs shorts right now. I got them uh, yesterday, and I've worn them every moment of every day since I've got them. Bird Dogs is comfortable shorts, but they look great. So it's short and pants as well, sorry. Um, it's shorts that you can wear out to run. You can go play basketball in, but if you need to go to the mall, go to the supermarket, go out for dinner, go to the bar, they transition perfectly because they look great. They feel great. They're comfortable. They have uh, amazing fabrics that don't feel stiff on your body. It just looks great. Multiple colors. I've got gray ones on at the moment. I've got a pair of black ones here as well. But basically, whatever you do, you can just... Chuck them on and wherever you find yourself during the day, you're going to fit in. They're going to look great. They're going to feel great. You're going to feel comfortable and you are going to absolutely love what they give you. Not only do you get a great product to wear, but if you go now to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA, when you enter the promo code LockedOnNBA, they'll give you a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. So not only do you get great shorts, great pants, great fashion colors and fabrics, but you get this free tumbler. 
It's an amazing deal. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA. The code is locked on NBA. Get yourself those pants, those shorts. You won't get out of them. I'm telling you, I haven't gotten out of them at all. Got criticized this morning walking the dog. My partner's like, man, you're wearing the same shorts again? Like, yeah, I am. I'm going to wear them every day until they until I can't. Then I'll chuck the other pair on. Then we'll just keep rotating them through. They're my new shorts of choice. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA. Get the shorts and get the free tumbler as well. All right. G.G. Jackson. <sighs> young. Unbelievably young. The youngest player in the draft, I believe, Tyler? Um, yeah, it's either him or Najee, I believe. He is a forward-ish sort of player. South Carolina, six foot nine. The range of this guy in drafts is crazy. Um, lottery pick for some. Second round pick for others. The shooting numbers are like they're, they're disgusting. Like you probably don't want to look at that. 38 from the field, 32 from three, 68 from the line on 31 usage. Like a true shooting 47 on 31 usage is disgusting. Plus we tie in some of the reports of the, well, not, not even reports, the stuff, the you know, cri- criticizing of coaches on social media during the season, the reports out of the combine of a lack of fitness and um, conditioning being well down. And none of that paints a great picture, but... There is the packages here. The the um, the scoring wing is a great sort of archetype of a player and all the pieces are there, but there's a lot of concerning things about Jackson that have surfaced over the last you know, 12 months or so. And he's probably the biggest wild card out of, out of this entire draft because, like you mentioned, super young. He should be going into his freshman year fall, uh, but reclassified, went to South Carolina. Um if he didn't reclassify, he would probably be the preseason number one overall pick for next year's draft. Yep. That's how you know it, talented and athletic and big he is. It's important to note that his situation and that team at South Carolina were really bad. There was no shooting around him. There's no re- real playmakers around him. Um, but unfortunately, he didn't help any of that in really any form or fashion. The reports out of the combine are really concerning about how he's basically out of shape and kind of bombing workouts and interviews and how much slower um, his workout pace is compared to everyone else that teams are interviewing. That's really concerning because we, he, he came into the situation this last week with big questions about his maturity and his readiness. And he just kind of exacerbated those. And he, it was a great opportunity for him to come in in phenomenal shot in phenomenal shape and just really drop jaws left and right. Besides the immaturity issues, which, you know, I, I'm always hesitant to really go in on um, unless you really know the guy. More concerningly is just how low his feel of the game t- tends to be. And 6.6 assist rate is absurdly low. Um, 44.4 effective field goal rate. Uh, you have on the screen 47.4 true shooting percentage. Uh, he ranked in the 98th percentile in isolation frequency, but the 15th percentile in efficiency. Um, besides spotting up, he didn't have a single off-ball play type frequency that was over 5%. So he was either standing still or dribbling the air out of the ball. Um 21.4% of his shots came in the mid-range and only 23.5% of his shots came at the rim in the half court and he only shot 49% there. Someone that big, that skilled, that athletic should be getting to the rim at will against college defenders and he just was effusive about settling for these tough mid, uh, mid-range fadeaways and some of them look great. I, I buy the shooting long-term. I, you know, The percentages are gross, but I think a lot of that is shot selection 
I think he's going to be a good shooter long term, but the decision making and the feel are really, 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 really concerning. They are. Like you talked about low assist rate. It's a really low steal rate as well. Like he's under yeah. two. I think he's under one and a half when he, in his steal rate. I just did have that there. He's at yeah, 1.4 steal percentage. Like that's really low. Like you want it around two usually to be able to have the success. But we say all these negatives. We say that shot selection. We say the feel. We say why, you know, all this usage, which I think is part of the South Carolina situation where they're just like, yeah. the, do, do what you want. He is two years younger than Brandon Miller, which as both being freshmen, we talk about maturity, two years. That is an insane difference. And we could be coming in here at the start of G.G. Jackson's third NBA season and he still could have, you know, he could theoretically have been a freshman in college coming into the draft. So that's a big difference. Like this is a hyper young guy. And I think when you get a guy that's that young, that has those concerns and immaturity, and we all we all mature at different at different points and all that sort of stuff. But when I guess maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, Tyler, but the the college program uh, enables that a little bit and doesn't really yeah, um, yeah bring him with that sort of structure. That yeah, I, I I do hold a little bit against him and the maturity and the conditioning, but yeah, he he doesn't. There's still so much room to improve here for for how young he is and how he can develop and. You look at all the numbers, you go, I wouldn't draft this guy ever. Like, well, what am I doing? None of the, none of, nothing makes sense here. But size, the the feel, it can improve. And it's just the youth. Like, he might never become anything, but it's really hard to judge when we're talking about a guy that is just that much younger than literally everybody else that's in this class. And when you want a guy that's going to hit like a six foot nine forward, like with yeah. scoring and usage ability, shot creation ability, like it, it's gold, and that's where it becomes the how do you how much do you trust your um, development and your coaching to get that guy on track? And I think you know talk about immaturity. I think there's a, a thing to be said here, also that he could have gone back to college into a weaker draft class, been a number one, number top five pick, and done all that and come in with that thing. But he says no, like I'm going to the NBA now. I'm going to go drafted much lower than what I would next season in what is a weaker draft. And I think there's a level of, not maturity, but someone said maybe he does you know, sort of, not even uh, outwardly, but craves some of the structure and the, the discipline that maybe an NBA team can bring him up. Maybe that's going a little bit too far, but a lot of players in this situation be like, no, I'll just go back. I'll be a top five pick next year. And then people will love me. But he's like, yeah, my season wasn't that great, but maybe I just need that extra structure that an NBA's environment provides. Yeah, and that that's definitely the hope. And I, I really think he's going to be one of these guys where on draft night, depending on who takes him, I could either be like, oh, I should have had him 15 spots higher or, oh, I should have had him 15 spots lower. And I, th I think the culture that he goes into is going to be so important. Um, what, what you talked about with him, you know, maybe he's craving that, uh, you know, that ability to be coached hard and that structure around him. Uh, so a very similar thing with Anthony Edwards coming out was – you know, these immaturity concerns and does he love basketball? There's the mm. work ethic there. And then he goes to Minnesota and Chris Finch and eventually comes in and coaches him incredibly hard and gets the most out of Anthony Edwards. And that's what Anthony Edwards wanted and needed. So I'm, I'm really hoping that's the situation with Gigi because at that size, those skills, he just kind of needs to be steered in the right direction of good basketball habits to develop and, you know, taking the ball out of his hands and being held accountable. Um, I, I know he, he was in a sense for after that Instagram post questioning his coaches and teammates and stuff, but he was 
the usage was still there. The the lack of defense was still there. I, if he goes to a place and a head coach and a system and a culture that's going to hold him accountable, teach him really good basketball habits, five years from now we could be looking back and being like, I can't believe 10, 15, 20 teams passed on this kid. Because the other thing is, is like five years ago, you'd say, well, he's going to the NBA for money. But if you go picked at pick 19, like the rookie salary is like, he probably could make more NIL money if he stayed at college. Like that's mm-hmm. that's not that big of a, of a deal. So it's not that he is going because he needs that money because there is a path for him to make that money pretty easily staying as the number one returning player in college basketball. He could have done that. Um, next guy Terrence Shannon Jr., probably a later second-round player, guard, Illinois, an older prospect here, be 23 in a few months' time. He shot 32% from three. Decent usage player. Name has sort of been around for ages. Always been playing for ages um, in Illinois. Is there is there anything here for Shannon? As like obviously guard size, six six, and play up at the, at the three, play the two. There's some you know, decent enough steal rate. There's nothing that totally stands out with him, but I guess that it's just the size and the position value that, that brings something there with Shannon. Is there something sort of hidden there with him? I, I think there could be. The real concern with him is that his game just never really seemed to take that massive leap that we were waiting for since his freshman year at Texas Tech when he kind of broke onto the scene and we we're like, oh my God, this could be a one one and done guy. Then he returns for his sophomore year and is just kind of the same thing over over again. And his junior year, same thing over again. And his senior year, obviously he improved on the margins here and there, but the shot never really developed. I mean, it regressed back to 32% on higher volume this year. Um, he's a really good driver, really good athlete. There's some legitimate defensive potential there. He's awesome in transition, gets downhill pretty easily and gets to the rim. I thought his uh, playmaking out of drives this year was the biggest kind of growth in his game, which is really encouraging. But I'm also not convinced that he's ever going to be put in a position in the NBA where that's a real tool that he can really use because the shot's not going to be a threat. Um you know, at least anytime soon. And the fact that he hasn't made that big leap in his performance is just, it's tough because I, I was one of many who was really excited about him after his first year. And then he had a couple of years of nagging injuries that stunted that growth. And then the shot just took another step backwards this year. So he's really tough because the, the, the size and the athleticism and kind of ability to attack the rim is exactly what you want out of that type of guy. It's just the shot's not there at all. Yeah, well, and the thing is, when you look at the numbers and you go, well, he went from you know, 10 points per game to 17 points per game this season. His free throws went from 2.9 to 6.8, and that's great. But he's 22 years old and he's doing it against 18-year-olds yeah. and you, you want him to do that. Like I, I would say, give me 20 points a game if you're going to play 32 minutes as a guy who's four years older than a lot of your competitors. And yeah, get, get into the room is great, but you only did it this season and... You, you, you didn't do any of this stuff. You doubled his rebound numbers. That's cool. But again, you're bigger and stronger and more mature and more experienced than a lot of these guys, which is always a little bit of a red flag to me when everything sort of sits and then you become the big man on campus and then you dominate. It's like, oh, great. But you know, that doesn't work when you get through to the next level. So he is a, a player that, again, has been in our consciousness for years now, four-year college player but it's never really taken those steps forward. And the only real big increases came again as a senior, which to me is just something where look, you, maybe you can contribute, but 
if I'm taking picks, I'd rather just take a little bit of a swing on guys, and maybe this is a a player that yeah, okay he could be a a two. A lot, a lot of teams seem to go for two way guys who are like 22, 23 that can come in and and help for a year or two and see what they can bring. But I'm not overly convinced that you know what he does and what he does here is just couldn't be found in ten different guys who are two years younger and that they can develop to be better than him at this current age. Now I just don't I don't see it for him to become anything that I would be super intrigued about drafting. Yeah, that, that that's the thing. He has yet to really show what sets him apart in an NBA context. And if a team brings him in on a two-way or something, I'd be like, okay, cool. Like, you're seeing what's there. And I just – I can't see how his game effectively translates to the NBA because at Illinois this year, he was at, the, at his very best with the ball in his hand and attacking. I don't see an NBA team that gives him that role or that responsibility or that freedom to do that. And then when he didn't have the ball – he didn't really do anything. Uh, he just just kind of stood on the perimeter, rarely moved off ball, and he ranked in the 29th percentile shooting off the catch. So it's like I doubt an NBA team is going to give you the leeway to be a primary ball handler, and if they aren't, then what are you doing on offense? And I don't know what the answer to that question is. Yeah, that's always my question. It's like, what else What else are you doing? That's one of my questions. Mm-hmm. Like, not that these are the same player, but like with Johnny Davis last year, like, okay, you got 30% usage or whatever at Wisconsin, but you're probably not going to have that role in the NBA. So what else are you doing? What else are you providing that's helping? Um, and if the answer is, I don't know, then the answer is then I, I probably don't want to be that invested in, in drafting you at those positions. The last guy we're going to talk about is a big man from Washington State, Muhammad Gay. Uh, 20 years of age, 6'11", probably a late, mid to second, mid to late second round player. Um, yeah. 26 usage for a big man is a is a decent number. The 53-2 shooting is pretty low. What, what is this guy as a player? You see some highlights for him. You see some interesting, um, some dunks that he throws down. Um, but I, I, I don't know. that the, the low efficiency as a center is absolutely my number one red flag there. So why is it that low? And is that fixable? Um, really athletic, big, good ball skills for his position. Uh, it just feels like he desperately wants to be a guard and oh, the old pressure's a chewer moment uh, or the Kai Jones. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the highlight tape's awesome because yep, he's really is. athletic, really good footwork, good balance, all that kind of stuff. But I just, the, the efficiency's not there. He's a theoretical shooter, but 27.5% from three is not a good shooter um he had a real tendency to just constantly get out muscled by the other nba caliber pac-12 big men um questionable kind of processing speed on both ends he could turn into a black hole once he got the ball and just had blinders on only looking for the rim uh and then just the ball security those blinders often led to him not recognizing when doubles would come and missing kickout passes or dump offs to cutters if he could develop that passing vision a little more, um, you know, then we're talking about some intriguing upside with his offense, but that's a really hard skill to develop, especially for a pretty raw center. Um, just didn't establish post position consistently. The defensive is eh, just chased a lot of blocks. It was, it was fun. It was athletic, but I I'm, I'm questionable on how it actually translates to an NBA context. You said he chased a lot of blocks, yet his block numbers are putrid. Like he played ten yeah. extra minutes this season compared to his freshman season, and and averaged fewer blocks. He went from and he didn't average a lot in his freshman year, point nine down to point eight. Like they are they are ridiculously low for a big man. Yeah. Um, and that that's again that's 
you know, what what are you doing like in this position? Why do you why are you trying to do something that you're not good at? Um, and that's you know, be this offensive self creator player and you not be able to position yourself defensively. Like there are just tons of red flags in a lot of these numbers for him. Maybe he thinks he could be a shooter, can't hit free throws, so you'd want to be able to do that. Um, before you start thinking that you're going to be able to take them, uh, really even mid-range jumpers or, or three-pointers, and defensively, like you're not really doing anything here that's protecting the rim, and the fact that those numbers drop so significantly from year one to year two at Washington State is a is a big issue to me as well. And yeah, these high usage, inefficient centers, they just really don't have a place in the NBA. So I'm pretty down on what Gay can um, can provide. Do you think there's any chance he goes back to school? Um, I, I thought I heard that he's planning on staying in. Okay. I, I think that's a mistake. I would go back uh, or even, you know, look to go to the Ignite. I, I think what they've done in developing their guys and putting them in tough positions to make them better all-around basketball players is exactly what he needs. So I, I really worry about him finding his way to a position that's going to help him develop. Um, I guess would be someone gives him a two-way just because of how athletic and kind of interesting he could be i think the most optimistic outcome for him would be like a nas reed type player but there, there's gonna have to be a big transformation with his offensive de- decision making and shooting yeah there is and yeah things can work out things can change he's not super old but nothing so far has been particularly encouraging but this show was encouraging, Tyler. I enjoyed talking to you and talking about all of these prospects and getting some deep insights into those five guys we talked about. Tell us what you've got cracking over at No Ceilings at the moment. You guys are pumping out plenty of content. I saw there was an Anthony Black scouting report video that dropped today or yesterday from you guys. So what else is happening over at No Ceilings? Uh, yeah, we got free written content Monday through Friday um, over at, at, at No yeah should probably get the plug right at no ceilings nba.com uh it's 100 free go check it out uh we are dra- dropping our draft guide next week um you can follow us on all socials at no ceilings nba to keep an eye out for that and we have daily podcasts monday through friday um on the nba draft at the no ceilings nba draft show and on youtube at no ceilings tv Go check out No Ceilings. We've had lots of the guys on the show. I've got a few more coming up over the next couple of weeks as well. Tyler, thanks for coming on and chatting NBA Draft with me. Appreciate it. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And if you're on YouTube, you thumb it up. You leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.